We just finished an episode with a, a true expert, Sean Wells. He recently just released his newest book, The Energy Formula. Sean's a, he's a biochemist, he's a dietitian, and he's a certified sports nutritionist. And it shows up in, in our podcast. You can, you can tell that he has a lot of knowledge and, and expertise. But the thing that I really love that also shows up and as part of Sean is he's done a lot of inner work in his life and he, he really focuses on mental health and the relationship with food that we have. And also, you know, the roles that emotional eating takes in our lives and, and also that there's these flavors chemists that actually are creating flavors for us to be, you know, triggered in our in our different parts of our minds with dopamine and, and serotonin. And it's it's a real addiction. And he goes into that and he he talks a lot about it, knowing from a, a scientific point of view what's happening. And then also how to interrupt those patterns by having more intuitive knowledge and just knowing who who we are and having better a better sense of self. So I think you're gonna love this episode and and there was a, a lot of, of key takeaways and great learning lessons involved. Yeah, you know, I couldn't agree more, Dre. I think, you know, I think Sean's going to appeal to the entire range of listeners here, folks who are sort of novice in this and folks who are expert. You know, we, we have an opportunity to talk about scientific data and then also just the very simple free things that we like to throw in a whole bunch. And so um, uh, I feel like each of our guests have brought something really special to the show and, and Sean's going to be no exception. I think a lot of folks will really enjoy what he has to say and it's really going to ring their bell. And so without further ado, I hope you listen and enjoy and please feel free to comment on our website um, and certainly in of our uh, social media. And we really appreciate that. Please enjoy the show. Welcome to our podcast, Head and Heart by Dan and Dre. So our podcast is going to be a series of conversational interviews to begin what's really a lifelong discovery on an accumulation of data-driven and life-lived wisdom on how to live the best life for you, but not only you, but those around you, in your profession, in your community, to help you achieve your long-term goals and longevity. Yes. And please subscribe to our podcast, leave a review share with your friends and enjoy. Well, welcome back to our podcast. Uh, this is going to be a really uh, just empowering, I want to say, episode. I am so excited that I'm having the opportunity to interview somebody I've just most recently come to know about, uh, Sean Wells. And it's, it's, it's amazing because he is... Um, He's a biochemist, a dietitian, and a certified sports nutritionist. And he's written this book that has just most recently came out called The Energy Formula. And our way over here, I was telling Dan that there's one other book. I mean, there's many books, but there's one other book that really spoke to me that I felt was life-changing. And it was this book called Stop Drinking Now by Alan Carr. And it just resonated me. Like, I felt like Alan Carr was like in, in my mind, like just had answers to all the questions that, that I was searching for. And that's what I felt like with your book, Sean, is like there's so much curiosity I've had around nutrition and supplements. And I'm just so excited for our listeners to get the opportunity to hear from an expert like yourself. So welcome to our podcast, Sean. And uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing amazing. I'm on a podcast with you guys. Life is good. <laughs> <laughs> and where are you at? You're in Texas, right? I'm in Dallas. Yeah, I'm right on the lake in uh, in Frisco on Lake Louisville. Wow, 
fantastic. Yeah. What's it What's it like right now? Is it super humid and hot there or is it pretty manageable? Uh, it's getting there. It's like 85, 90 degrees. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I just, uh, I just got back from Costa Rica on uh, mm. Sunday and there's a new, I thought that Texas held the record for stifling humidity. Nope. Nope. Not close. Costa Rica has incredible humidity, but it was really lovely because it was right on the water. You know, you get Caribbean and, uh, and Pacific. Nice. I just got back from, uh, from Tulum on Sunday. Oh, oh so awesome. I love Tulum. Yeah. One mm-hmm. of our, uh, one of our other guests, um, I think has spent a lot of time near Tulum. Uh, and the, you know, I'm going to, green. I'm going to move to Costa Rica for December to March in Nosara. What? Oh, fantastic. That's amazing. Be the best months to be there. So I'm just going to move down there. What will you do down there? Like what, what's drawing you there? Work from there. Just live there. I don't know. It's going to be oh. cool. Well, let's talk about that. I mean, when you say work from there, like what does a work day look like for you, Sean? Like help our listeners understand a little bit about what you do right now. If you can just pick up and move to Costa Rica. I mean, what does that work look like? So, uh, it's, my life is very interesting. Obviously I do public speaking. I do podcasts, you know, things like Ben Greenfield show and JJ Virgin show and all that kind of stuff. And, and I speak on big stages and I have my book. And so I have this and I go on TV and do radio shows. So I have this public facing persona that I educate and do all that kind of stuff with. But the majority of where I make my money is from doing formulations. I've formulated over 500 products for food, beverage, supplements. Mm-hmm. Um, I do flavor work. I do um, patent novel ingredients. I've patented 15 ingredients, including T-Cream and Dynamine, which are in about 700 products. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I help companies scale and go to sale in the supplement space. So I've helped. Uh, six companies now in the supplement space go to sale, mm-hmm. uh, including Dimatize for $425 million. So I'm good at acquisition readiness, and um, that's the majority of what I do and makes me the bulk of my money. Wow. that And that's, I mean, what I was reading as I was getting into the book, and it's it's pretty interesting, your life story and what led you into this place that you are now doing that type of work. And some of the things that I'm excited for you to share on is, you know, you've brought in a lot of mental health and an understanding around the way the mind works and the different challenges that people go through as far as like getting out of their own way. And where where did that show up for you? I mean, we know that you've got these credentials, but that was the thing about the book that I'm just loving is it's like, it's not so sciencey. Like it's, it's something that I'm able to take in and, and realize that you're speaking to the way my mind works. Yeah, you you know, I actually wrote the book very sciencey at first, and then I read it. I paid $10,000 to read it in LA. I read the whole thing start to finish, and I finished it, and I was like, it's a B plus. And I didn't like it. Like, it was was good. Mm -hmm. And I had some stories and anecdotes, but I didn't feel like it really flowed the way I wanted, and it didn't have enough of my personality and my passion and stories like in it. So I, I rewrote about 30, 40% of it. 
Wow. And uh, and then you know I put this out and I read it again and and this time when I read it it was it was an A plus for me I was super super happy with it mm-hmm. and um, I was also a lot more vulnerable mm-hmm. um, after I read it I I decided to share about um, suicidal thoughts depression just a chaotic uh, childhood and. Um, you know, being bullied and, and having uh, anorexia and disordered eating. And, you know, these are things that like as a dietitian, as someone who's like um, a health influencer and, and a scientist, like it's, it's hard to, to be that vulnerable. Like you want to say like, I got it figured out, like I'm healthy, like, you know, life is good. But I found that the more vulnerable I got, uh, Mm -hmm. the more people were really connecting with it and the more I was able to, um, initiate change with others. And so that was, that became very powerful for me. Wow. And that is, that's like what has spoke to me so much. And I'm so grateful that, that you did that. And I'm actually learning a lot just as you're sharing that, you know, I'm authoring a book right now and, it takes a lot. I can only imagine what that was like for you to read it and then realize the work that you needed to go back and then rewrite it to have that vulnerability part in it. And I really am so grateful you did because there's so much about your story that I, I honestly remember sharing with my husband. I'm, I'm like, I can't believe we get to interview this guy. Like he is, he's somebody truly special. And I think that's what really separated you uh, from from the rest for me is that you you had all this heavy background in in schooling and and the certifications, but yet you let people see your heart. Like you really opened up and allowed people to get to know who Sean Wells was. And and I I have to be honest, you know, I'm almost finished with the book, and it's it's something I don't even want it to end. I see myself reading it over again, and there's some things that I'm excited to get to know from you as we get into the book and and you sharing some of your knowledge with. Uh, Dan and I and our listeners, and I, I know that I want to really touch on some of the the supplements and helping people understand. You know, for myself, it's a it's a very I feel very lost in that world. Like, okay, I even you know going through and highlighting your book, and I'm like, where do I go get these? So I make sure it's like then I start to get in my own way that I'm not going to buy the perfect one. And so I think it would be really amazing for you to to maybe even share and help guide us and and the listeners into you know how do you go and pick up some of these these supplements if you're a beginner and really being directed to the ones that are safe and and how can we know that they are you know can you speak to that a little bit yeah in the book i I mean i'm known as the world's greatest formulator i'm known as like the ingredientologist i've i've done so many supplements at this point that that people know me as the the supplement guy if you will and so I thought it would be smart to, you know, that I'll, I'll just say that. So energy formula is an acronym for experiment, nutrition, uh, exercise, routines, growth, and your tribe. And so the book is divided up in that way as six pillars to biohacking, living a better life. And in each one of those chapters, I have a formulators corner that breaks down supplements that are related to that aspect of biohacking. So for, um, you know, growth, for example, uh, I'll go into uh, nootropics, MCTs, things like that, uh, that help expand the mind. 
And in the, the intro chapter, I get into like basically what makes a good supplement and what does not, like what are the red flags. And so I just go through how to find a quality supplement. And I think that's one of the most important ones, knowing to not buy supplements with proprietary blends, mm -hmm. knowing to um, avoid supplements that have crazy claims on them. Uh, you want you want full disclosure. You want uh, a company that's listing the plant part, the standardization, the genus and species, the dose. And, you know, maybe there's like five ingredients and not 40 ingredients. And there's no proprietary blends, like I said, and it doesn't say 880% more testosterone or, you know, whatever it is. Like these things are like clear signs that this company is just trying to cash in on you. And so those are definitely some watch outs. Mm -hmm. um, it's definitely good to, you know, go with the companies that have been doing the right thing for a long time, of which, you know, I list again in the book, uh, companies like uh, Thorne and uh, Standard Process and Now and Jero and Doctors Best and, you know, some of these trusted brands that have been doing uh, full disclosure labels that have avoided making ridiculous claims that are very straightforward, that have great quality control programs that have been around like 20 years uh, and they've stood the test of time against like Consumer Reports, the FDA, Labdoor, you know, all these, mm -hmm. um, you know, companies that will test out the products. And you know, these companies are solid and that comes at a cost, like quality control comes at a cost. You know, when I've been with really big companies, I mean, we're talking like, well, even I'm thinking Biotrust, one of the last companies I was chief science officer at, uh, you know, we were making about 150 million a year direct to consumer. And we had in our R&D and quality control department about 15 people, full-time scientists, wow. you know, that were working on uh, the quality of these ingredients, of sourcing these ingredients, of testing out these ingredients and the finished product, of working on what happens when you blend them together, what happens to them when they're exposed to heat and time and moisture. And we were running all kinds of experiments. We were sourcing sometimes to get one ingredient. We went through 40 sources to actually get one that tested out for the right genus, species, and standardization. Wow. So there's, there's a lot of work and money that goes into all this to do things right versus mm -hmm. just, oh, that's the thing. I'm buying it on Amazon. You know, that's the one I heard about in this article or on this podcast. I'm just going to buy it there. Mm -hmm. It's not that simple. So that's where, you know, I go through this stuff step by step in the book. And I certainly talk about a lot of the supplements that you could potentially take as far as ingredients that will have benefit for you. Uh, at the end of the book, I just I mentioned my top 12 that I feel like everyone should take. And I feel like that's the foundation. I know 12 sounds like a lot, but, you know, it's up to you. I, I walk through their purpose. Mm -hmm. But in each chapter, I also go through some things that might work for you specifically. Again, if you're trying to boost your immune system or boost your, um, you know, brain function, etc. So um, you can potentially expand beyond those supplements that are that are my core supplements as well. Oh my God, I love that. So, I mean, I actually had this question show up when I was reading. I'm like, how many supplements does Sean take a day? Like, what does this look like for you as you know all this and you've done this research? Uh, 
What what does that look like? I mean, because 12 could sound like a lot to some people. And I think once you get in and you start to realize what they're doing for you, 12 really doesn't seem like that much. But what does a day-to-day look like with you with supplements right now? It's been anywhere from zero to 100, like no joke. Um, it just depends. And I don't take stuff consistently. I actually kind of take things in spurts and cycle through things because I don't want um, – my body to become used to this thing as a baseline. Mm, Like, so I like actually kind of having like this hormetic response of just, you know, getting it sometimes and, and loading up on it and then, and then using other things at other times. Like, especially like when I use things like adaptogens, which I'm a big fan of. So something like rhodiola, I will use that for a month. Then I'll use ashwagandha for a month and I'll use ginseng for a month, you know, and I'll just, I'll cycle through them so that I'm not always using all of them and stacking them and, and that kind of thing. So, um, for me, I also do it intuitively. I think about like, you know, if, uh, it's flu season and, and, you know, maybe I've been traveling a lot and as I travel at least 50% of the time and, you know, maybe I'm exhausted and and stressed out, then I'm going to take something that's going to boost my uh, immune response, you know? Mm. Um, So I'm just intuitive with it as well. But um, I would say on average, I take, you know, 20, 25 supplements a day. Wow. I mean, and I'm, I'm actually the exact same thing. It's, it's, it's probably around 25 supplements a day. So, um, so this is just a really wonderful conversation and a great chance for us to ask a lot of things of you. We'd love to pick your brain. So you, you mentioned a little on, on the FDA. So, um, you know, a lot of these supplements are not FDA regulated. So when you were functioning as the chief science officer and maybe one, multiple of these companies, what role was the FDA playing for, for you personally and then also for the company itself? Because And maybe some of our listeners probably just don't know or they just sort of skip over it. Oftentimes supplements will have these labels that say they are not regulated by the FDA. And, um, and so how do you bridge that gap? How did it come up for you on a daily basis? Um, if you can talk to that for a second. It depends how you're defining, like, just regulated by the, like, technically, they, they are regulated by the FDA um, as an industry. It's just not um, an intense regulatory process like pharmaceuticals would be. So um, they're trying to do that. They want to have, like, NDIs, which are new dietary ingredients uh, that you have to disclose. But, you know, right now, if you do that, then you have to do a lot of work to disclose that ingredient. You have to do the science behind that. And then there's about an 80% chance that they'll turn it down. And then you can never use that ingredient nor the industry. Wow. So no one really does that uh, because it's just uh, it's a process that's just a mess. And, and it really just feels like it's on the side of big pharma. Mm-hmm. Uh, that said, um you know, there isn't good oversight like big pharma. You know, it's it's messy. It's it, it's a messy answer. Um, yeah. You know, by and large, supplement companies are expected to um, police themselves. The FDA will step in when something's wrong. Like if if um, you know an ingredient is considered dangerous. Uh, you know, there's there's considerable complaints or, um, 
reports of adverse events, which companies are supposed to report to the FDA. Uh, whenever you have a, uh, you know, a person complain about, it's called a serious adverse event or adverse event, AE or SAE, that information along with all their medical records, et cetera, is supposed to be submitted to the FDA and potentially overseen by, if you have this, uh, a, a medical group where they sign off on it and say, like, we've reviewed this and, you know, we're not seeing that the supplement company, you know, is at fault for this or, you know, or uh, the supplement company may have to recall products or reformulate the products or, you know, pay for these medical bills, et cetera. So these are things that I don't think most people know about, but they're programs that I've had in place at some of these bigger companies I've been at. But I think most of the companies that you would talk to now that, again, are on Amazon or, you know, this direct-to-consumer products don't have any idea about this stuff. They don't have the quality control. They don't have the adverse event monitoring. Uh, they don't have a relationship with the FDA. Um, you know, and the quality control thing is a huge issue. Like, there's, a, there's something that's called um, dry labbing, and it's a term that means that Let's say if you get this ingredient from China, they print out the results just by typing it in and they say, um, you know, ginseng standardized for 5% ginsenicide A. And so you're like, okay, cool. And, and, you know, the contract manufacturer sources it, they put it in the product and they send it to you just assuming it's going to be good. You don't do the third party testing of the raw material or your finished product. You put it out there. It doesn't have anything in it. Wow. But maybe as a company, you didn't know that you had to test it on a mm -hmm. third-party lab, a legitimate lab, because that's dry labbing. So it's like it can be garbage that you're putting in there or even something harmful or something that has heavy metals, which, again, is like part of the quality control testing is that, you know, I would test for all kinds of like heavy metals, bacteria, all kinds of things, um, you know, banned substances. I was testing for all that stuff. So, again, there's like a high cost to make something safe and effective. Mm -hmm. And then not even getting into like me as a formulator, I'm going to make something that will have complementary mechanisms of action. So, like a lot of times when you're looking at a product, let's say it's a blood sugar product, they'll just put in 5, 10, 15 ingredients that all affect blood sugar. This is actually really stupid. Like what you would want is the most effective ingredient and just have that unless there's several pathways that are complementary that would make sense where there's synergy to this product and these ingredients when stacked together have true synergy and benefit. But, you know, 99% of the products out there just have a ton of ingredients. So you just go, oh, it's for blood sugar. I've heard of this one. Oh. And they're not that effective. So this is frustrating. And then one of the other uh, frustrating terms that's out there kind of goes back to the proprietary blend thing is fairy dusting. Oh, I was going to ask and, you about this. <laughs> and so with proprietary blends, let's say if it's a 700 milligram uh, muscle and strength blend and it's got 15 ingredients in it. And the first ingredient is creatine. Great ingredient. I use it. I love it. Uh, but it's super, super cheap. Like 
four, five, six dollars a kilo. And and then you've got all these other ingredients. And you know, maybe you've got, you know, some ingredient that, you know, really could be like like PQQ or NMN or you know, some of these mitochondrial ingredients or whatever that are like thousands of dollars a kilo. They're all in there in that blend. But they could be in there at one milligram. And so you can have six hundred and ninety-nine milligrams of creatine in your 700 milligram blend and the other 14 ingredients are one milligram and this is legal and that's called fairy dusting with a proprietary blend and so that's super frustrating to me and you know people say supplements don't work but the problem is they're not taking the right ones and that's something that i take the time to go through in the book Mm -hmm. so when you um i i love to know the process you know as you think I ask this question because I think about this, you know, from a cardiovascular standpoint, uh, very frequently, because I feel like in medicine, oftentimes we're um, not missing the boat, but we're not seeing, you know, the whole bay, we're not seeing really what's going on. And and so for that reason, you know, I, I am a big believer in supplements. Um, what about what sort of fillers do most supplements need? And I realize that the, the the answer to that question could be it depends, and I understand that. But in general, is it fair to say that most supplements, the active ingredient is good enough by itself so that when you read a, a, a label that you don't have, you know, yellow number five and riboflavin 95 and all these other things that are in there with no clear benefit for humans, but Someone will say it's, it's here for um, sort of storage or so that it doesn't desiccate or so that it is prolonged longer. So um, I guess just to rephrase it in a very simple way, most of these things, is it fair to say they do the job they need to do on their own? Or are there a bunch of sort of carrier type of chemicals that need to accompany these things? Uh, that's not an easy answer, but I would say like, you know, there are reasons to have uh, these fillers, as you, you put it. Sometimes it's to take up more mass in the capsule so that the stuff isn't just shaking around and it can be packed in tightly. Um, and you can change the capsule size and it depends on the ingredients uh, density. Um, and that varies ingredient to ingredient. Um, and then, you know, if it's a tablet, uh, you need certain ingredients to help it uh, take on that tablet form and be dry. And then there's certainly, to your point, like even in a capsule, like you'll add uh, ingredients like silica, calcium silicate that are that are desiccants that help uh, keep moisture out of the product. And, you know, moisture can be an enemy of, of the ingredient and its stability. And then there are things that will enhance bioavailability or be carriers, to your point, uh, that might enhance digestibility or uptake, uh, things like that. Like sometimes uh, if something's liposomal, for example, you might have um, different like phosphatidylcholine and, and things like that added to it, these fatty acid components um, that can help with uptake. So, um, you know, those are some of the things you might have in there. And then sometimes it's just aesthetic, potentially like the capsule might have colors. Um mm-hmm. And, you know, you might not want that. Um, I don't think that's necessary, but, you know, sometimes that's added just for, again, aesthetics, especially like in sports nutrition Mm -hmm. uh, areas like that. 
Mm-hmm. Have you? Do you guys, uh, either you or for some of the companies whom you've consulted or were employed, do you uh, look at? You know, you talked about very beautifully about sort of synergistic mechanisms of ac- of action. Do you look at um, um, sort of dissynergistic uh, mechanisms of action so that one yes. will disincentivize the other? Are those processes similar? And um, if if there's a, a process whereby the supplement you've decided is not this is not going to work, um, is it more frequently because of a dissynergistic thing or or a synergistic thing? If that's a fair question. Yeah, it's both. And like I said, I'm I'm looking at it. That's a good point on on different levels. Like one, we look at it like on a blending level. Sometimes ingredients can be blended together, and actually, on the other end of the finished product, there's much lower levels of each one because they had uh, interactions on that level yeah. when they were blended. Yeah. Um, so that's something to be aware of. And sometimes you have to either not use one of those ingredients or you have to look at input levels and you have to put in what's called overages. Sometimes like with vitamins, we might have 20% overages so that they hit the two year shelf life and still meet label claims Mm -hmm. because that shelf life, if it's 18 or 24 months or whatever, you still need to meet all the label claims. So sometimes you have to put in overages. And then uh, to your point, there are like, this is one of the reasons the FDA, if they are to come in and inspect your products, um, you know, they would say that you can't make claims around your finished product unless you have at least one like gold level study, but most likely they'll say two studies to corroborate each other. Um, Mm -hmm. But because typically the studies that are out there that people are making claims on are ingredient based. So let's say there's a study out there that says, you know, biotin increases, um, you know, your hair follicle, um, you know, shine and strength by 20%. And then you say, well, our product enhances hair follicle, you know, sheen and strength by 20%. They'll say, no, 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 that's not true. This ingredient does that. You can make a claim around that ingredient for that. Mm, If you include it in the right form, the right dose, the right frequency, and it's from a healthy human population that's representative of the population that you're marketing this product to, then they'll say, maybe. But you can't say that about your product because you don't know that. Because these ingredients can have interactions with each other that, to your point, could maybe enhance them. There may be synergy. And then there may not be. It may be negative. And I'm obviously formulating on a scientific level to have them be synergistic on paper. And then, yes, like typically before I bring a product out, I'm at least doing like alpha level testing, you know, blood work with, you know, a few people and, you know, seeing what's happening there. And so and then we'll like fund a study potentially thereafter. It, it's it's always fascinating to me how how these studies uh, how they come together and 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 how they ultimately get you know approved um, or they come out with a positive light where you'll have this correlation you'll have a, a particular biochemical that that is known to perform something 
and people will take that as, oh, well, this this is a thing. It's going to do this. And then when you actually do that in human trials, you get these p-values that are, are really not um, robust in small studies. And people will make these claims off studies of, of 30 people with p-values of 0.05. And, and you say, well, I, I boy, that's, that's a tough pill to swallow, you know. And unfortunately, you know that. I know that. A lot of folks know that most folks don't actually know that, that there's, there's this correlation game and it's not a causation game, right? Oh, it's, it's way, way, way worse than that. Like, uh, I mean, first off, when you go to get a study made, um, you're typically designing these studies so that you get the results you want. Secondarily, you can go to, especially I would say CROs, the, you know, these private research organizations that are not academic bodies they're in the business of business. And so they're in the business of like getting people the results they want. I'm not saying that all CROs are bad, but there's, I mean, there's some out there that are great, but, and there's definitely some university level groups that are not great. But if I was to like pick one over the other, I would say academic research ranks higher just because they're not as incentivized to make money on a private level. Um, so there's that. And then to your point, then like even once you get the results, you can comb through the results. And if you're working with an organization, a CRO or even an academic that's friendly to you, they can essentially leave out information. They can focus in on certain information and then title the article on the stuff that seems amazing and then now your study article you know gets printed and um you know and and it's this amazing title and sometimes you don't even have the full published data you just present a poster with very limited information and then the poster can be cited if you just present a poster of information of kind of like the the early alpha level data uh, then it's enough to cite. So a lot of companies will use that intentionally. Like they'll go to like a, a research conference and present the poster, but the actual study never comes out. So there, there's just tons of games all over the place uh, for sure. And I would say, you know, someone like examine.com does a really good job. Uh, they have MDs and PharmDs and RDs and, you know, great people that are reviewing these studies and and putting together data in a digestible form that you can research these ingredients. And by and large, I think they do a really good job. Well, and I can I speak to some here? Yeah. Yeah. Sean, what I love too, because, you know, even as you guys are talking, it's, it's like, it's a lot for someone like me, you know, like to kind of like take in, like I'm trying to follow it. And, and that was something that I, I also loved about, you called it an N of one experiment. And I think that really resonated because you helped my mind not go into like this fixed mindset, but you allowed me to stay in this growth mindset and, and really see like, okay, there's all these things out there and there's all these ways of doing things, but you need to be your own experiment. You need to be the one that's like taking it and, and intuitively you've, you've used that word today. And I, I love that, but really like you know, do your research, but also be your own experiment. And I think that's, that's so relatable and something that, you know, I had to laugh this morning. I, I woke up, I just got back from a trip and, and I love to experiment with my food in a sense. I mean, I can kind of get stuck doing the same thing over and over. And I did some, um, 
figure competitions in my life, you know, did some shows and things like that. So I'm really, I love learning about nutrition and, and, you know, I got into the point about your keto and your story. And I want you to speak to this because I had always had a fixed mindset around keto. Like I didn't know enough about it. So I kind of just like closed my mind to it, you know, like how could this really work? People are eating so much fat. And, um, and then this morning there I am 6am at the grocery store buying all my stuff because it's like, okay, here's my new experiment. (laughs) I'm really going to, you know, work with this because I knew the way my body has been showing up and, and the things that I've, I've recognized over the past few months is I just crave fat. Like I crave it, good fats, not, you know, not like nuts and avocados. And I was starting to think I needed to step away from that. And then I read some, some ways of being educated around keto. So I would love to have you also speak to, you know, N of one experiments, like how, how to really help us understand how you recognize that it's so important for people to really, you know, do the work by being your own experiment. And then let's maybe even hear some of your, your story as to what really helped you get to this place of experimenting with keto and how life changing it's been for you. Well, a few things I would say, even though we've been told that healthy fats now, now we're told that healthy fat is okay. Before we were told that fat was bad and now it's healthy fat, meaning fat from plants. But I would even argue against that, um, that at least 50% of the fat we should, we are taking in should be saturated fat. The whole thing is, the whole thing was wrong. The whole thing was wrong. That 50% of what we're taking in should be saturated fat and the other should be monounsaturated fat. And we should just skip polyunsaturated fats as much as we can. And that's like seed oils. Um, a lot of these, Uh, processed vegetable oils. I would say that the processed vegetable oils are as bad or worse than all of the sugar and, you know, any, any of what we consider dangerous in the food supply right now, these vegetable oils are killing us. They're super inflammatory. And it's like so, canola oil and yeah. things like that, right? Because yeah. yep. you said Peanut that in the oil, book. Cottonseed oil, veg, quote unquote, yeah. vegetable oil. Yeah, all of that stuff. And then well, worse is it's often combined with the sugar. And here's mm-hmm. another thing. So like here's an example of studies like that said fat is bad. And they'd show like an uh, animal studies like with rodents, for example, And they'd say, you know, we gave this rodent, you know, X amount of fat in the diet and it got, you know, coronary heart disease and uh, arthrosclerosis and, you know, dyslipidemia and all this stuff and see how bad fat is. What they didn't tell you is that they gave them trans fats, processed vegetable oils, Mm -hmm. and then the balance of the the, uh, macronutrient was high fructose corn syrup wow. or maltodextrin. It's like, okay, now you have the McDonald's diet. No shit. Right. <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> like, yeah, they got sick. But is it a high fat diet? The way you need to think about it is instead of uh, what you are, what you eat, and that this idea of fat makes you fat, is you burn what you eat. Your body is intelligent and intuitive. The fuel you're giving it, it's going to use. So the more fat you consume, the better fat consumer and burner it is. And so if you have 
you know, largely carbohydrate and sugar, it's a sugar burner. It's very inefficient at burning fat. So surprise, when you eat 80% carbs, you're terrible at burning fat. And that's why you'll even see someone who's a runner that eats a ton of carbs that's like skinny fat. Mm-hmm. You know, but like if you're someone that's eating a lot of saturated fat, you'll have plenty of testosterone, estrogen, hormones that are fat-based. You'll have more brain power because your brain is mostly fat. You'll have better cell health because your cells are made up of fat. And you'll be a better fat burner. Mm -hmm. And you'll also have less inflammation. You'll live longer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like, but we're hearing all this stuff that's, you know, I'm not like anti-vegan or any of that, but it's, it's, um, there's definitely been uh, a lot of sleight of hand with with information that's out there. And I think a lot of that's changing and people are waking up. And I think you can be healthy on a carnivore diet. I think you can be healthy on a Mediterranean diet. And I think you can be healthy on a vegan diet as long as they're well-planned. If I was to put you on a carnivore diet and give you spam and, you know, uh, you know junk meats and, you know, bologna and whatever and uh, that would be terrible. What I would give you is make you eat nose to tail, like grass fed and, you know, farm raised and whatever, like all like the, the best stuff. And also making sure that you're getting all components of the animal. You're getting the, you know, the tendons, the ligaments, the organs, the skin, you know, and all of that, because there's nutrients in all of it. We're not supposed to just eat the muscle. Mm-hmm. But the same is true with, with being a vegan. Like, you know, I could give you gummy bears and Coca-Cola and call you a vegan, mm-hmm. you know, or am I giving you a well thought out, well constructed vegan diet? And of course, you could be somewhere in between with the Mediterranean diet. But that's the idea is that we're, we're cognizant of the nutrients that are in these foods and, you know, the interactions that are taking place, like just like we were talking about with the supplements that fat, uh, these trans fats or these processed vegetable oils that are highly inflammatory, when you add that to a high glycemic diet, that's like nitro and fire. I mean, it's just, it's horrible. It's literally just the worst combination. There's only one place in nature that I know of that a high fat, high glycemic carbohydrate diet takes place. Because in nature, you either get carbs or you get fat. Like you get fat when, you you know, the bear, you know, eats the fish. You get fat like when the, you know, lion eats the gazelle or whatever. And, um, you know, maybe you get fat when you eat an avocado, etc. But you get high glycemic carbohydrate and high fat when a bear is getting ready for the winter. It eats berries and it eats fatty fish. And it puts on a ton of weight for hibernation. And that's what you get because you're actually, when you're consuming high glycemic carbohydrate, you're, you're preventing the burning of fat and promoting the storage of fat. And that's literally what's happening. So, you know, it's fine if you're consuming high glycemic carbohydrate, if you're using it great in that case, if you're an athlete, I'm all for it. Like, I always like I don't demonize carbs. I think of carbs as like you earn your carbs. Mm -hmm. I do cyclical and targeted keto. I want to be metabolically flexible. I use carbs, but I strategically time 
my carbs. And that's the difference. So when you say strategically time them, I'm I'm actually curious because this was part of the book that um, I just was reading a, a few days ago about the metabolic me, uh, metabolic flexibility and and you know you try to like relate it to yourself and think of where you're at and you give a lot of great direction to find out you know where you possibly are at. But how do you strategically time your carbs? Because that was something I was curious about as I was reading the book. Yeah, so there's there's several ways to do this. Like the cyclical uh, ketogenic diet might be to do, um, you know, the weekend off, but the weekdays you're doing keto. Um, you know, there's some data that shows that that might not be the best way. That that five and two might not be ideal. Uh, that something like maybe like six and one might be better. Uh, that's that's what I do typically. Um, but I also allow for just me to be flexible in the moment. But, you know, I look forward to my carb days. I look forward to like if I'm playing sand volleyball here in Dallas in the heat for eight hours in a tournament, I have whatever I want. I literally have this might shock you. I have Coca-Cola. I have gummy bears. I have Starburst. I have, you know, whatever, like the things that I'm not supposed to have. That's when I have them is when I'm earning them and burning them. Mm. That's when I allow myself to have them. And mm. I'm healthy for it. Like, you know, is it better if I never ate those things? Maybe. But am I a human? Yes. <laughs> was I a junk food junkie as a kid? Yep. And this is a way that I figured it out, that I earn them, I look forward to them, I have them, and then I'm done with them. And so that's what I do. And then like on, um, and then yeah, with targeted that, that, what I'm talking about there is targeted. So like when I'm playing volleyball, like that's my workout, then I'm allowed to have carbs and like I'll literally, if I'm playing for eight hours, maybe the first four hours I'm having sugar. And then I'm literally, because I'm so, you know, exhaustive with the, with this workout that by the end of it, I'm already back in ketosis. Mm. Wow. So like it's, it's strategic and you have to learn your body. I'm also 20 years into doing this. So like my body has adapted quite a bit and I'm not saying your body can do this right away. So it's a little different, but, and it just depends on how exhaustive and, and glycogen depletive the exercise is and all that kind of stuff. But this is just what I know for my body. And I particularly like that high glycemic carbohydrate when I'm playing because it gives me a boost and it doesn't fill me up. I don't want fat when I'm playing, uh, you know, volleyball or whatever. I don't want something filling. I don't want something that's slow digesting. I mm. want like quick sugar and just, you know, burn through it. Uh, but that's not ideal. Like during my normal day to day life, like, and typically when I train at things, I want to train low, compete high. So if I'm practicing volleyball, I'm using nothing. If I'm at the gym, I'm using nothing, like typically even fasted. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's that's the difference. There's there's just a couple of things I want to go back, and, and thanks for that. There's uh, I, You are saying things that Dre and I have been saying on the show for a while, so it's nice to have a lot of this uh, – uh, reaffirmation. Um, so one, you know, you talked about the, the bears, this is just sort of a funny anecdote, but you talk about bears eating brains. I had a chance to go to Alaska last year and, and what he said is exactly right. You will see these bears on, we saw 
like 30, 40 bears. I mean, we saw many, many bears. We're 10 feet from the bears. What was interesting to me is that they would take these salmon, these ginormous salmon, um, you know, 30-inch salmon, 40-inch salmon, 50, 60-inch salmon, and only eat the brain. They would mm. chomp the brain and leave the rest of the fish on the shore. Shore just littered with it. Just to this exact point is that it's chock full of fat, and it's chock full of good fat. And, and when Sean was talking about saturated and, and monounsaturated and polyunsaturated, just for folks out there, you know, if, if you can, I think this example will help because if you can think biochemically of, of how a, a molecule is, right, you know, a carbon is one C. And if you imagine four little lines on the side of the C, you know, uh, something that is fully saturated has hydrogen molecules on the side of the C, right? And so uh, when you start getting double bonds, you know, the, the, the hydrogens take different shapes and the fats won't sit in your body the way they're supposed to sit. They take up more room. It, it's truly a room space of many other things, but to sort of keep it very simple, this is a part and parcel of why you see cardiovascular disease with this, because those molecules that don't fit well together, they don't sit where they're supposed to sit, take up more room and ultimately can narrow coronary arteries. And so as folks are thinking about these monounsaturated and polyunsaturated and, and saturated fats, just know that there's a geometric thing to this. And so um, I, I fortunately, I'm not a food motivated person. I use food to do what it needs to do, like Sean's saying. If I want to build muscle, I'm doing X, Y, Z. If I want to lose things, I do X, Y, Z. If I need energy, I do X, Y, Z. I, it's not like I, I just do it because I love the taste of a cheese stick or something, you know. Um, but it does help thinking about that, right? Like, you know, if you're eating a, a fully saturated fat, that is a vastly different thing from polyunsaturated fats. And unfortunately, they got lumped in together, you know, from this... FDA triangle and, and McGovern in 1976 or 1978 and this food triangle that is was terrible. It still is terrible. Um, and so just think about that as you're eating these things, about just how the biochemical structure well, of that, that. I mean, think about why that would happen. Uh, it was with Nixon, his administration, that he was tasked with lowering the cost of the food supply because there was a lot of poverty and we needed to deal with poverty. And so there was a good initiative to try and lower the cost of food, especially for people that are more poor. And so there was that initiative that was put out to the food industry. And, you know, at a similar time was this data that started coming out that, you know, all of these things are bad that are like meat, you know, and, and whatever that are more expensive, that are more uh, difficult to create. And that somehow, you know, at the base of this pyramid was all this carbohydrate that's super, super cheap. All these grains, mm -hmm. the soy and the corn. And then what do we have now? We have high fructose corn syrup. We have, you know, everything is soy and corn based and we have our vegetable oils and whatever. And it's because everything was subsidized and it's all built on grains, which are high glycemic and really bad quality fats that are inflammatory. And so that's what we have is ultra processed foods that are super unhealthy for us and dirt cheap. That make and, and tons dude, there, there of were money. studies. People knew this and and when they were going and building that that pyramid, the studies were quieted basically by lobbyist and and monetary influences and uh, as you you read some of these sources you think to myself, wow, 
that's incredible. People knew this stuff, and yet still they were pushing, you know, get away from fat. And like legions of food was invented that was quote unquote fat free. Decades, oh, there, there's an amazing uh, there's an amazing South Park episode from <laughs> I don't know like ten or fifteen years ago where they they're like oh we got it wrong and they literally flip the pyramid upside down <laughs> yeah. and it's like you know the the fat and protein is at the bottom and the carbs is like the little thing at the top <laughs> I'm like yeah okay <laughs> I love that. That's, it's sort of, um, I love the South Park can nail it. I sort of feel like the TV show Scrubs really gets the doctor thing better than any of the doctor <laughs> stuff out there. Well, and you know, I have just because we were talking about the, the vegetable oils and, and whatnot, and I, I think this will be a, a great question with just your knowledge is you see a lot of the oils, Sean, like, you know, olive oil spray or um, avocado spray. What, what is your thought on, on something like that? Is it, is it healthy to use the sprays like that coming out of a can? Or is it now just another thing they're starting to, to, to kind of be, you're kind of tainted because it's another easy fix of, of maybe thinking it's healthy, but it's not. Do you have an opinion on that? Mm, you know, sometimes the propellants might not be healthy that are with it. And certainly sustainability wise, it's just, to me, it's not the best thing to like have that much waste so that you can spray a little, like, a, I mean, what ends up being like a, you know, a little thimble full of oil in this whole thing. But, um, I don't know where I fall on that, but I will say that like those oils, uh, have that have a low smoke point shouldn't really be used with cooking. Well, olive mm -hmm. oil should be used primarily to add to uh, food after it's cooked, mm. unless you're doing like really low temperature cooking. So you know it'd be it's great to add to a salad. It's great to add on top of you know whatever it is that you're eating. Like that that's great. But I think things like you know, butter, coconut oil, you know, stuff like that. Um, grapeseed oil might, might be better like, um, at, you know, cooking under high heat. Mm -hmm. It's actually, that's really helpful. I think to know. And, and that was, you know, something that I was blown away when I read, I, I mean, I don't cook with vegetable oil, but just what happens when you are using one of those types of oils that, that are, are not healthy mixed with heat. It was like, I think you said it turns into like a carcinogen, right? Carcinogen, yeah. Uh -huh. carcinogen, yeah, because it, yeah. it's yeah. oxidized, yeah. yeah. It's, and it's just wild, you know, because then you think about, like, the title of your book, and it's, you know, the, the energy formula, and I work with people, and I hear, just like probably all of us, that's a major... Um, a major block for people is that they don't have enough energy. They don't have enough energy, and yet the thing that, that's not being looked at is... And you said it in the book, you know, whatever, what you're putting in input, you're going to have output. And you hear these things we're talking about, you know, the, the different oils that people are using and restaurants are using. And, and there's just seems to be this kind of block of, of not really connecting the dots of, of gosh, why is my energy low? It's not just because I'm so busy. It's actually maybe because of what I'm, I'm eating. And, and I know that you are on these tours and you're presenting and how do you, how do you find your way really getting into, to helping people have this new awareness around, okay, look, you've maybe heard this before, but now let's really make it relatable. And let's, let's see if you can, you can take in the information and hear it a little different and start to make some changes. Do you fall that you run into that a little bit with, your, your knowledge and sharing and, 
and just maybe yeah, hearing the lack yeah, of energy. And, and one of the primary focuses in the book is, you know, to your point about us saying we're busy and, and like, how busy are you? You feel busy, but explain it to me. Like, tell me, tell me what you really accomplished today. Yeah. You feel busy, but here's why. If you want to know why is we're distracted all day long. Our attention is being targeted all day long. The stuff we watch is like this, you know, every, like it used to be like, if you watch 12 angry men, the, the movie, like it was, took place, the whole movie took place basically in one room, you know, where they, you know, were deliberating on like, you know, whether this guy was innocent or guilty. And, you know, a shot might be a 30 second shot. Now it's like, there's multiple shots cut per second. And we're looking at our cell phone while we're watching TV, while someone's talking to us, while a device is, you know, beeping in the background and there's notifications. And we are terrible multitaskers. We do something that's called task switching. We're just going back and forth, back and forth. And it takes about three to five minutes to recalibrate and refocus. And so the whole day we're distracted with our notifications, with our emails, with our cell phone, with the social media, with dating apps, with, you know, doing our work with the TV, with, you know, people talking to us with, uh, you know, driving in traffic, the music that's on the radio, whatever, like, you know, that's a lot. And even when we're driving down the highway, think about how much like, you know, things are just trying to get our attention. Everything's trying to get our attention. So, you know, there's banners everywhere. There's targeted ads. You know, they're listening through your phone. They're making sure that like this ad is for you. And, you know, the five reasons, you know, every every email now is, is you know, something that's like clickbaity, like the five reasons you can't, you know, and uh, ignore this email or, you know, whatever it is. And all of that leads to ATP uh, expenditure, energy expenditure in your brain. Your brain is working all day long. You feel so busy, so exhausted, and you didn't accomplish anything, anything, but you're exhausted because you were busy and you were never present. You were never mindful. You were never in the moment. Life passed you by the entire day and you accomplished nothing. So you didn't enjoy your day. You didn't really connect with anyone. You feel exhausted. You didn't accomplish anything productive. And that was your day. And then you tell everyone how busy you are. Well, <laughs> That's definitely not a formula for an energy filled life. And that's something that I go into in the book is that it's important that we are mindful and you use techniques like uh, Cal Newport's deep work, uh, where you take two hours, like right at the beginning of the day, you get a big task done by turning off all distractions, all notifications, let's say from 8am to 10am and crank and get something done. And that's more than all of your coworkers will get done in their entire eight hour shift in that two hour block. And then there's also the Pomodoro technique where you do 45 minutes of work, 
and take 15 minutes break. And in that break, you can do exercise snacks where you move your body. You can take uh, eye rest because it's important to not look at screens too long. You know, you can get hydrated. You can take your bio breaks. You can talk to people and that'll actually improve your productivity. And then, you know, it's, it's important to, to be present. Like I go through in the book, the most important aspect of longevity is quality of relationships. This is what happens in the blue zones, places like Sardinia that I've been multiple times. When you have connection and a real network, and then you also have purpose and you know your why, like you, you have a reason for living and getting out of bed. This is why people often die when they retire. So mm -hmm. don't ever retire. Like just find something that lights you up, whatever that is. And, and have those quality relationships around you. Like, you know, when I would have dinner in, in Sardinia, you know, it's a three hour meal and they're present. It's not about cell phones. And so, yes, some of these foods are healthy. Like, yes, they drink red wine. Yes, they have olive oil and all this stuff. But some of that is psychosomatic anchoring because of the quality of relationships and the way they're slowing down and the love that's in the room that that's anchored to the food and to the wine. It's not all just the food and the wine. It's your body when it tastes wine says, oh, we're safe. Like this is a great place to be. I'm nurtured. That's actually happening too. That's called anchoring. So that was a, a long rant, but it's important it. to be present in this life. And the busyness is what's distracting you from taking in really great information like you know, getting to the books that you should be reading or, you know, listening to that podcast that you should be listening to or, or those things. And we say, oh, we're too busy. Like, are you, are you really like, is this like at the high point of humanity? Like we're the most busy of the entire, the entirety of humanity. We're the most busy. Like they built pyramids or aliens did or something. I don't know. <laughs> but like, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's been accomplished throughout humanity and we're going to say that we're the most busy because we're on Facebook and Instagram. Really? Mm -hmm. There's, you said that so beautifully. There are a couple of things I really want to uh, go back to and, and, and bring to, to the forefront of folks. Uh, one is one we've talked about before is, is I couldn't agree more with you. We are so sort of scattered and not giving the amount of attention to one thing as we should. And, you know, the word priority when it was invented was a singular word. Only in America did we bastardize it so that now it's like multiple priorities. And, and, and folks, you know, you got to do multiple things. But like you said, you can chunk that up. So the first three hours of your day, your priority is to get that one thing done and, and ignore all the other bullshit. And, and so in the second thing I wanted, so I'm glad you said that. That's, that's it's such a good segue, and, and, and I really appreciate that. The second is this food is fuel and, and ATP, right? And I, I, I'm actually going to steal this from you and, and talk to folks and say, really, are you that busy? Because I, I like the way you, you ask it. Because folks are probably wasting a lot of energy doing all these things, right? And we talk about where you get ATP. And so for folks out there, you know, ATP is basically your energy molecule. This is how things get done. And, you know, I, I won't bore everyone and waste the time here. But but at the end of the day, you need to have this, right? And and this is how things are accomplished. This is how your muscles move. This is how your gut works. This is how the brain works. And 
And, and a lot of that to, to really streamline that process is going to be food, stress reduction. It's going to be the five or six things that are common in all the blue zones. And when folks talk about it, and, and you can maybe hit on this too, but it's that, it's that tribe, it's that group, it's not smoking, it's making sure you're walking. Maybe it's one glass of red wine a day, something like this. Um, but it's all those things. So you can't sort of just pick and choose, oh, well, the blue zones say I can have a glass of red wine. Well, yeah, you can, but you also have to be having that two or three hour dinner and, and you know, having this great conversation with your wife or, you know, yeah. all those things. You can't just yeah. pick out one thing, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah, you, you don't pick and choose. And and it's it's about the the holistic uh, experience, to your point. Yeah. And, and there's so much to that. Like, it's incredible the way that you feel. Like, when I've gone to Sardinia or I've gone to even places like Iceland, like, life slows down. Yeah. Because there isn't such a demand for your attention. There isn't signs everywhere. There isn't devices everywhere. There isn't notifications and dings and, and, you know, you just see nature and you just, and people are moving slower. People aren't as in, in as much of a rush and they actually want to connect and hear from you. Mm -hmm. And then you're surprised at like how much better you're sleeping and you feel like less exhausted and surprise this is why i actually what was crazy is uh when i went to sardinia i was eating probably six thousand calories a day because it's just wow. absurd that wasn't <laughs> even my intention like you literally will offend people like i was at all these different homes and i didn't realize that there's like 12 choruses of food and like you know so i was eating like the first two choruses like thinking that was dinner oh, no. and then they're like offended if you don't eat <laughs> All of that, right? And so I was eating just tons of food and lots of carbs. I, you know, I was told like when I'm there, like, you know, you're going to like carb up and whatever. So I'm like, cool, I'm just going to eat like that. And when I got back, I thought I was going to put on like 10, 15 pounds after a week or so there. And I actually lost a pound. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was because like I was sleeping great. I felt de-stressed. I felt less inflammation in my body. And it's just a whole shift, like where I'm not fighting my body. I'm not pushing my body with, with caffeine and trying to like get more out of it like every second because I'm exhausted. Mm-hmm. And you're eating good whole foods, right? And, and, mm-hmm. and so you get that and you sleep your eight hours. I think people forget or don't realize that if you sleep, you can burn 800 to 1,000 calories just by sleeping for eight or nine hours. You're yeah. doing nothing. Right. And, and, you know, that's taken away a lot of that. Um, you know, it's doing your body is you're helping your body do what it's designed to do. Well, you know, we started talking about Costa Rica and um, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. I, I don't know what to think of it myself, to be honest. But as we were driving around the country and, and heading up into the jungle, you know, the tour guide was talking to us about um, the plants we were seeing. And it's interesting, the at least in that part, which was the north, northwest part of Costa Rica, the monocropping that, that, that they have, which is basically sugarcane. I mean, they, they don't grow a lot else there. And, and I was sort of struck with it. I was struck with sadness, to be honest. I, I don't know if, if I should be or not, but um, I thought, well, gosh, that's, you know, most of that's going to make rum or, or refined sugar for people to add to whatever. And here you have this blue zone, this, this beautifully studied country with everything that we've been talking about the last couple of minutes. 
and now they're just monocropping in large swaths of the entire country. Not only monocropping, but monocropping for not a really great you know crop, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, and it made me uh, contemplative, I would say. Uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that as we sort of shared our Costa Rica experiences. Well, I guess I'm even more sad about soy and corn over even directly sugar. Uh, like it's worse that the high fructose corn syrup is a thing, but, um, I agree. I mean, ultimately that is sad to have, uh, you know, so much of that be sugar versus, you know, healthy fruits and vegetables and yeah. say, um, but yeah, for sure. And uh, I'm looking at Costa Rica, um, you know, largely for, it's a slightly lower cost of living. You know, you're, you're there on the ocean. Like you said, it's, it's a healthy area. Um, you know, there's a lot of plant medicine work that's going on there and that's become a big yeah. passion of mine, like Rhythmia and, and other places. And, and it's certainly not frowned upon there, which is nice. Um, I like that there's a lot of longevity, uh, stuff that's happening there. There's certainly plastic surgery things that are happening, but as well as, you know, stem cells and exosomes and hyperbaric chambers and all those things, um, you know, people are, uh, flying in and, and doing these retreats there to, you know, get things taken care of. Um, so I like that there's, you know, that the healthcare that's there. I like that there's the plant medicine work and kind of larger thinking that's happening there and, and growth mindset that's happening there. There's entrepreneurs there. That's really cool. So for me, like it just really seems to fit. Uh, I would love if Puerto Rico was that place, uh, because of the tax free situation. But, uh, I think they're about 10 years away from really being the, the place that that could be, could be what it needs to be. Um, so, uh, for me right now, I, I'm, I'm pretty excited to at least spend part time in, in um, uh, Costa Rica and then probably continue to stay uh, part time in, in Texas, in Austin or Dallas because um, it's no state income tax. It's warm. People are friendly and cost of living is good. <laughs> and the politics aren't insane. So. Right. <laughs> hey, um, Sean, there was a, one thing I wanted to ask you and when you guys were talking about sugarcane, there's a, a supplement in your book, and I might not say it correctly, but I think it's called like berberine. Dihydroberberine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah and there, I, there's berberine and, and then the active metabolite that I've patented is dihydroberberine. That's about five times more bioavailable and, and stays in plasma about twice as long, uh, has less GI distress. Berberine was shown to be more effective than metformin, a most famous glucose disposal agent, anti-diabetic drug, but also pro-longevity drug. There's a study going on with um, it's either 10 or 20,000 people, which is massively wow. big, uh, on metformin and longevity. I mean, that's how impactful this drug has been. Uh, but, you know, it's also had issues being tainted and recalled and it depletes B12 and causes GI distress and has a lot of side effects and berberine is safer and more effective and dihydroberberine is even better. And so right now I don't know of anything better. I mean, one is an anti-diabetic like blood sugar controlling agent, but two, that's anti-disease and anti-aging. I mean, because almost every disease is metabolic in nature and aging is metabolic in nature. And that's something we're finally looking at is the relationship of 
blood glucose, of insulin, of these growth factors uh, being um, conversely or inversely related to insulin. And so there's you know, elevated uh, glycation levels and advanced glycation end products associated with aging, um, which is correlated to inflammation and dyslipidemia and, and almost all diseases. Again, like when you look at um, higher blood sugar, higher insulin, you see literally almost every disease like right. PCOS, cancer, heart disease, um, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, you know, you go down the list and everything's related. So there's nothing I know to me that's more important to take every day is mm. this dihydroberberine. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you spoke to that. Cause that like just really drew me in. And I love the the experiment that you ran on yourself around eating mm. all that sugar and your your blood sugar levels spiking up to like I think you said 199 and staying up yeah. there and then taking this supplement and seeing uh, how it was able to to help regulate and so that is something that you would recommend like everybody be taking uh, berberine yeah yeah or yeah or dihydroberberine yeah. Okay. So, and I want to ask you one more thing on this because I did get on and started Googling. I'm like, I don't know. And maybe I'm just so novice with this kind of stuff, but is there like, where do I go to get that supplement? Like a real, like that was one of the things that I want, I was like Googling and trying to figure out like, where do I get this? And maybe I missed yeah. it in your book, but yeah, there's, there's a branded version of the dihydroberberine. Again, this this better form that's more bioavailable has less GI distress and lasts longer. Um, so you actually end up taking much lower doses uh, and it's more effective. It's called Glucovantage is the branded name for dihydroberberine. And you want to make sure you get the, the branded version. And there's several supplements that have it. You can look it up on Amazon. Okay, cool. And, and you know, in our lifetime, we're, we're going to see probably in the very near future, to be perfectly honest, is, is that the, the topics that Sean's touching on right now and, and reducing overall insulin spikes is not a small deal, but it's actually a, a significant deal. And you've seen folks with these CGMs and you know mm -hmm. all this sort of stuff. And there's there's classes of drugs that are going to be able to do this that folks are going to get because there's significant longevity. Not significant, but there's definitely longevity data in these things like the SGLT2 inhibitors, PCSK9 yeah. inhibitors, and GLP1 yeah. agonists. And yeah, um, right now they're extremely expensive, but but you know. Uh, as a cardiologist, I can look at this data and it is impressive data. The mm -hmm. drugs are going to be impressive. And I really can't wait to see sort of longitudinal prospective studies with these trials. And, you know, it. I would love to even see uh, berberine or any of its uh, metabolites in there just to see how that can compete, you know. Yeah. Uh, if, if, if folks could get the benefits of that without having sort of this you know, big pharma thing, this big pharma drug with, with, you know, the side effects that it brings. Um, but folks out there do pay attention to that. This berberine is not a small deal. This is a big deal. Yeah. Uh, and, and also these drugs, you're going to hear a whole bunch about them specifically weight loss and blunting insulin spikes, yeah. because, you know, as a reminder for folks, insulin is the most, um, you know, building hormone in your body. Right. And so, yeah. Unfortunately, oftentimes it does build fat, and, right. uh, and so we had, it, you know, we have to be on the lookout for keeping our insulin levels, you know, fairly regulated. So, um, thoughts on any of those drugs? Have you seen any of those drugs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. G there's a there's a GLP one um, agonist that that just came out um, that 
they're going to approve. They did approve, actually, I believe. They like, did. This just yeah. happened, yeah, a couple of weeks back that it got approved for fat loss um, right. and weight loss. And so that's a big deal. And um, yeah, that's that's an interesting one. And I'm literally looking at all those those pathways that you mentioned. <laughs> so that's something I've, I've spent a lot of time on recently is is working on uh, those very supplements. And um, uh, can have you come up with anything that you can share with us? Uh, I, I am very close on some ingredients. It's just sometimes like what happens is like uh, I have a partner in China. He has a 400,000 square foot facility, over 100 scientists, and, and I'm partnered with him. And sometimes it's not just a matter of can I find an ingredient that does this? It's like, is it economically feasible? Right. Like, can we source it? Can we make it? Can we, you know, scale it up? Can it, you know, consistently test out and be stable? Like, you know, are the costs per dose, like, you know, reasonable? Like, is it effective in humans and not just animals? And so it ends up taking like several years of work and, you know, you know, maybe 10, 20 different tries and, you know, stabs at this to, to get it right. It's, it's not easy. Um, there's definitely some amazing things I've found that had to like stay on the shelf, like just because they're, they're too expensive or they're too difficult to source or, you know, things like that. So, um, yeah. yeah. It's, it, well, I wish you luck, and I, I hope you you come up with sort of the uh, uh, Rosetta Stone for for this. I, I, it, you're clearly going to um, be successful in that. I want to pivot just a little uh, because I know you talked about it a lot in your book, but I wanted to talk about fish oil. Um, fish oil is is something that I I also take four to five grams of a day, and have been telling my patients to take four to five grams of a day. But I have to say, you know, recent data, I'm not sure if you've seen some of this out of the American College of Cardiology, but, you know, a lot of this EPA or a lot of this fish oil stuff came out of a couple trials, um, big ones. And then you talk about patient numbers, but the Reduce It trial had 8,000 patients in it, I believe. And they looked at placebo versus, um, um, you know, EPA, which is a type of fish oil. So folks out there, if you're looking at fish oils, sort of the two main ones that have benefit that we've seen is EPA and DHA. And so... The interesting study came out was this strength trial, um, and and as they looked at the trial, which was an even bigger trial, had thirteen thousand patients. Which, when you're talking about randomized controlled clinical trials across the world, that's not a small number. That's a very big number. Um, yeah. But interestingly, it showed potential for cardiovascular harm, and and. The, the investigators were able to pin that down specifically to DHA rather than EPA, right? Um, so I don't know if you've got a chance to see those and if you have any comments on They're doing different things. You know, one's more focused for brain neural tissue and, and others for others. So, um, so I asked the question in that we don't know. The answer is we don't know. I was shocked to see the results, um, and I still i am not entirely sure what I'm going to tell patients or even do myself. So um, I'd love to know your thoughts on some of those. Yeah, that isn't something that I've looked at, and I'm I'm curious to see it because one of the first things that I would look at is again, if they're eating high glycemic carbohydrates, if they're having, you know, pro-inflammatory oils, what their lifestyle is like, um, you know, what culture is this coming out of, um, you know, that could 
that could really affect the, and then also like the quality of these ingredients. Um, you know, there's sometimes uh, heavy metals that are present in these, in these fish, depending on where they're, you know, taken from, like if they're, you know, Nordic waters, it's, it's obviously a lot cleaner. Um, and there's certain breeds of fish that have much lower heavy metals in them. Um, and then, you know, sometimes there's some of these ingredients, like there's detergents in them and, and, uh, some of these things that aren't necessarily healthy, um, you know, to get a good fish oil is expensive. There's an IFOS certification, IFOS certification. That's a big deal. And that's what I look for. They, they make you pass very stringent, uh, processes. Like when you put out a fish oil product, which I've done a few times and the degree of testing that you have to do, there's literally like, you have to show them about 30 different tests and most fish oils are not going to that degree of, of quality. So it just, there's a lot there that I, I don't know, you know, what to say, but you know, I also will say. I mean, I've made recommendations that I'm, I'm pro fish oil and I like DHA, DHA specifically for brain health. Uh, there's actually a really cool fish oil that again goes in the too expensive category called DPA that could be about 10 times more anti-inflammatory gram for gram than EPA, but it's just super expensive. Um, but anyway, like it's something I do recommend, but you know, here's the thing, like you know, I, I am agnostic. Like I, you know, you show me the science and like, it's, if it's conclusive and, you know, it's repeatable, then, you know, my opinions can change. Like there is no dogma in this book. Like I don't hold firm to, you know, anything here. It's, you know, this is literally, that's why the book isn't even about like what I do. You know, I give examples of what I do, but ultimately I say like, you know, we're bio-individual and then what matters is what works for you and then what you can sustain. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what I care about is that you don't necessarily need to do that. What I do exactly, you know, do what works for you. Yeah. yeah. And I love that. Cause that was a, again, one that I, I highlighted over and over is just understanding, you know, there's so many times that you'll meet somebody that eats a certain way, for example, you know, vegan, and then they, they want everyone to eat that way. And I love that you talked about bio individuality because not one way is going to be the right way for everyone, you know? And again, it kind of goes back into that intuitive, uh, uh, process and also, um, the end, the end of one experiment. And, you know, I also think it goes into, to the emotional eating aspect of, just starting to understand your triggers and and knowing what food is doing to your mind. And you talked about, and you had even mentioned, you know, the flavor chemist. I didn't even know that was a thing. And and being able to see that the, there are chemists out there that are actually, you know, formulating things to trigger certain parts of your mind so that you continue to, you become addicted to it. And, mm. and so kind of segueing there, I mean, I think it would be really... Um, just valuable for you to, to share a little bit about emotional eating and and how to really just kind of direct people into knowing a little bit about what that could look like for them or what you've seen maybe a pattern of in people and and how you're able to, to manage that if you are well, an emotional you, eater. I mean, first off, when you're busy, like we talked about before, you're depleted of ATP. You're, you're going to be reaching for caffeine and sugar first and foremost. Your brain needs energy. 
Mm. And so you're putting yourself in a situation that is not constructive long term. Um, but also, you know, there could be certainly depression and, and insecurity and shame and, you know, all kinds of emotions like that that are tied into eating, uh, where eating was is is a form of, you know, release or safety or or happiness for you. But then it also leads to all these other things. And it's a downward spiral of of shame and guilt and all that. Um, so definitely I've seen that I've actually lived that I've, I've been someone who binge eats and I've been someone who was anorexic. Um, I've been someone who's 300 pounds at six foot two. And I've been someone who's 150 pounds and was weighing myself every time I peed. Wow. And I've also been someone who's 220 pounds and was orthorexic and, and working out you know, four hours a day and had to eat six protein meals a day and all those things. Yeah. So I've been through it. I've had a, an interesting relationship with food, but to the point you were talking about before, there definitely is food engineering that's happening to make us overeat, to override the satiety signal. Um, you know, that you, there's these different aspects of food. Like think of like, um, if something is salty or crunchy or gooey or sweet or whatever, like typically foods are like one of these things, maybe two, but they're never like four five, six of these things. So for example, if I was to give you like a handful of almonds that are raw, you might eat 10 of them. If I cook them and bring out that roasted note, maybe you eat 15 and now I add oil to them. You eat more. I add salt to them. You eat more. You, I add honey flavor to them. You eat more honey habanero. You eat more. It's, it's literally a game of like, how can we override satiety and release dopamine and serotonin literally for like cocaine like effects, like, and reward effects in your brain so that you enjoy it, love it. And then you crash down on it and then you need more of it and you never feel full you know, and this is a thing that happens too, is like when you have a sweet drink, like they've done studies with soda or sweet tea or things like that, that you end up eating like more than 50% uh, more calories or something like that, like at a meal. I mean, it's a dramatic difference, like when you're having something sweet. So again, that's overriding satiety and it's setting you up for more shame, more guilt, more fat, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. So, you know, it's, it's really a system that's set up against us. And when you walk in a convenience store, it's not a convenient store. It's a store of addiction. You are surrounded by alcohol, caffeine, lottery, porn, uh, sugar, you know, all of this stuff. And it's, it's a store of addiction. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you look at all these colored you know, bottles and liquids. And then if you go up to the register, it's all the impulse stuff, the candies and the bright packages. And I mean, it's not like a store full of, you know, apples and oranges and, you know, cucumbers and stuff. I mean, it's, you know, it's clearly set up in such a way to create addiction and desire mm -hmm. and to have you feeling you know, addicted to it and, and wanting to have more of it and compelled to consume it. And then mm -hmm. feeling the shame afterwards, like, you know, this stuff is not healthy, but you're like, ah, it's right in front of me. 
Mm-hmm. I'll just get it. I'll just get it this one time. Mm-hmm. This one yeah. time. Trust me. I'll, you know, I'll be good next time. Gosh, man, I've said that. I feel like I've said something like that for a long time where I, I you know, I am a scientist, right? You know, you're a scientist. Mm-hmm. I feel like we are woefully behind what marketers have done to us. Mm-hmm. Um, I, they, they, they have hit the pleasure center and we are, we are just guinea pigs for it. I mean, they're very, very good at what they do. It is, it's a science of addiction. Just like you said, that's convenience stores are, Oh my God, there's, that's like the thing that is, yeah, that's the worst spot you can go. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I, I avoid going in there at almost all oh costs. Hey, Sean, I'm curious, you know, because you did speak to having a lot of these, um, I, I, you didn't use this word, but I was just thinking kind of unhealthy obsessions, right? Where you've, you went from anorexia to, you know, taking your body to these different extremes. So there's definitely some pattern interruptions that you've, you've had to do to get to where you are now. And even thinking about, you know, hearing what you just said with being, you know, literally stimulated in this way, walking into convenience stores and knowing that, that people are doing this, what would be your best advice knowing from your personal journey how to interrupt those patterns, those unhealthy patterns that you keep falling into day after day after day. And maybe you can speak from your experience of the, the different things that have, have shown up in your life as challenges with the relationship with food. Yeah, that's not easy. I think it goes into having the right people around you, the right relationships, the right relationship with yourself. Like you have to be your own best friend. If anyone talked to you like you talked to you, you wouldn't be their friend. Mm -hmm. You have to change the language that that you're using with yourself. You have to grant yourself grace. You have to afford yourself the ability to make mistakes because that's where success and greatness happens. That's where creativity happens. That's where exploration and play happens is in the mistakes. Mm -hmm. So they're not mistakes. They're really exploration ultimately. And super successful people have two things in common, according to Tim Ferriss of Tools of Titans. He found that they had a great morning routine and they're expert reframers. Like when you give them something negative, quote unquote, like they turn it into positive. They turn it into an opportunity. They turn it into something that's a lesson, a benefit. And they see themselves as as opportunists. And so there's no necessarily negative things that actually happen to you. This is the whole idea that life is happening for you. The universe is working for you if you let it, if you view it that way. And I think on top of that, when you, it's great if you're your own best friend and you have gratitude, you do work there. uh, You have affirmations and you say like, I am healthy. I am sexy. I am happy because I used to believe that those were achievements that when you got to a certain level of abs or, you know, pecs that you were sexy, that when you, you know, got to a certain level of money or title, you know, that's successful, that when you got the, I don't know, trophy wife or car or something, that that's like happy. But like, those are all states of mind. Those are not achievements. Like you can just be those things right now if you choose to be. Mm-hmm. You can be happy. You can be sexy. You can be successful no matter where you're at whether you have a lot of money the amazing body or not you can just be those things if you want to be 
And that's a game changer. And then putting the right people around you, you know, the, the saying that you're the product of the five people around you, like, so consciously choose who you're putting around you. Don't let it just happen to be, you know, these are my neighbors. This is my, you know, school I go to, like, this is my family say like, no, I, you know, I want to be this, 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 and this. I'm going to pick out the people I know that are the best at those things in my life and seek those people out. And I'm also going to give them value back for what they're giving me because it's two way street. Mm -hmm. And so those are some important things. And then putting the right information also into your head by consuming good books, good podcasts, you know, you know, being cognizant of what is, what it is you're consuming. So it's basically living life uh, in summary with intention. Mm-hmm. Instead of letting life happen to you, live life with intention. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, things can come together. And I feel like you can not only overcome, uh, you know, some of these eating disorders or, you know, issues with your relationships with food, but also your insecurities and, and issues in general. Gosh, I like, I mean, this is what I felt through your writing is, is exactly in this moment with you. And and it just speaks to me. Like, I, I think it's so important and it's available for everyone to to start to really practice this way of being and and then partner it with your knowledge. It, it just... I cannot wait, and I encourage everyone to to read his book, The Energy Factor. I mean, it was really one of the first books that I've been able to read where it it did have a lot of science to it, but yet it was really relatable because of this side of you, Sean, right now that you just were able to share of how you view life and and the different strategies of of just being able to speak differently to yourself and surround yourself by really good people. It's it's anyone can do this, you know, and I, I think that's where you find the relatability and, and when you're ready for it, right? And like you said, I mean, the best, the best way to predict the future is to create it and you create it with these healthy things that, you know, every guest on here now and what is 13 or 15 shows or something, it's, they're, they're all saying basically very similar things. Be good to your body, eat good food, get good sleep, be nice, talk to yourself nicely, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you wouldn't just like Sean said, and I've seen that a lot. Like, don't you would never talk to your friends the way you talk to you in your own mind, right? So yeah. you have to be your own best friend and your own advocate, and, and be really curious, like Sean's been, like you've been. And, um, so yeah, no, you you summed that up really succinctly. Thanks, Sean. I love that. So as yeah. we're we're coming to to the uh, you know the end of our time together, is there uh, anything before we go to the common sense department, Sean, that you would love to to share with our listeners? And I think along with that, letting them know like how to to find you. You, you yeah. mentioned you're a speaker, and yeah. and and so anything you can just maybe you know share with our listeners as far as closing comments and also where to find you. Yeah, I have I have great content on YouTube and uh, I'm on Instagram with um, you know cool infographics on biohacking and nutrition and mental health uh, at Sean Wells S H A W N. I have a website uh, SeanWells.com that I have all kinds of free guides that are downloadable on on biohacking on supplements for immunity for keto for um, fasting. And then there's the energy formula 
um, you can go there uh, and not only get the book, but uh, you can put in your information about getting the book. And I have uh, recipe guides, a fasting for energy guide, a hidden chapter on natural movement, uh, a bunch of other free extras, some Q&As, some videos. All this stuff is free and unlocked if you just go through the site, theenergyformula.com. And so, yeah, that's I just appreciate a chance to spend some time with you guys and and hopefully make an impact. Mm. Oh, you will, and and it's 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 really great to connect with you, and we appreciate all your hard work, and it, it's been delightful to chat with you, and and uh, we'll make sure to push as many listeners over as we can, and 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 you know, there's we might even have to have you gone. There's like 15 other questions on here that I, I didn't even get to between creatine and. Fasting, and, and fasting, <laughs> and, and and genetic testing, and uh, that I, I could do this forever. So thanks for the time, uh, and I guess with that, you know, one, I hope that we can do this again at some point. Uh, yeah. Number two, we'll do it after you discover the berberine. Um, you know, that's going to beat all the uh, 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 the other drugs. And so with that, we'll uh, transfer you into the common sense department. And, and, you know, as you know, you know, you get the power, you get the magic Sean Wells wand to change anything you want on earth. And it can be a few things. It can be very serious. Like we need to get rid of, I don't know, the moon or something. Or it could be completely silly. Like I, I don't understand why. I don't know. I, I can't think of anything right now. But um, your full range of anything you want to do, things that have to change, you have no idea why things are done like this. Uh, I would say the most impactful thing for me is doing what originally I called deep inner work. And it kind of goes back to that idea of intention. Uh, once I started... Um, looking at my mental health and working with therapists, you know, reading self-help books, doing plant medicine journeys that were facilitated with really good people that had intentions that were set mm -hmm. and did integration on the other side. That's important. I'm not just talking about quote unquote doing drugs, mm -hmm. but um, doing stuff that's again, extremely intentional with great facilitators. Um, you know, that's when my life really changed. And then I took it another step further when I stopped calling it inner work and I started thinking about it as play. Mm. And I think the game changer for us to really bring out our inner child and be kinder to everyone, including ourselves, is to think about inner play mm. and granting yourself grace allowing yourself the ability to be creative and explore what works for you, whether that's, you know, being gay or trans, whether it's, you know, being, uh, you know, some Republican or Democrat, whether it's, you know, exploring the Andes and, you know, dressing like a clown every day, like, I don't, you know, whatever it is for you, like go explore that and stop listening to what's right for everyone else. Cause it's not what's right for you. And as soon as you can let that inner child out and just be fully you and fully present, uh, that's when life really changes. So that's what I wish for everyone is that they can do the interplay. 
I love that, and I, I've never, I've never heard it phrased that way or framed that way, and I, I am going to take that. I mean, you definitely made an impact. You know, I, I think about the work that, that I, I love to do, and I've always called it inner work. And I think you just added, the next piece for me is, you know, it is inner play. I appreciate that so much, Sean, and. I'm so grateful for the time that you've spent with us and saying yes to being on our show. I'm so grateful that Chris Gethin connected us. Uh, he's a, a great friend and and it's it's he's, amazing. He's one of my favorite human beings on the planet. Oh, he is. He's just the best. And so it's this journey has been so so fun to get to experiment and and play in. And thank you so much for your time, Sean. It's it's been a pleasure getting to meet you. And I I'm really. I'm just full of gratitude. Likewise, couldn't agree more. That was I, I love that you say you say you're in your common sense department. Here you you're this scientist and you write these books and and you know you have tons of in-depth scientific knowledge. And that's the thing you're saying is, you know what? Work on yourself inside, figure out what makes you happy, be creative, be curious, and that's that's awesome advice. I love that. I love that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you guys. Yeah, well, and and thank you to our listeners. Thanks for uh, being a part of our journey, our community. And we're excited to continue to bring you really great people that I I believe are going to continue to make an impact in whatever area of your life you're really wanting to make those changes. So thank you. And until next time, enjoy. Enjoy.